0: Storehouse Dallas. This is our third installment on the fear of the Lord. How many of you have been enjoying the fear of the Lord? Isn't it good? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and I love it. I have been so enriched myself by just going deep in the scriptures and we have so many prophetic words and visions and dreams over the years that that the fear of the Lord was going to be a very significant in the coming outpouring of, of his spirit in the earth. And so um, let's just get right to it. Um, and so I want to talk to you. I've been talking about timing, and I've been talking about um, in Matthew 24, where um, he talks about, Jesus is talking about, we won't know the, the hour. We're not going to know the, the day and the hour of his return, but we are going to know the season. And he gives the example of the fig tree. And the fig tree is significant because it, it symbolizes um, Israel. And so he said, when you see the fig trees begin to bloom, you know that you're in the generation of the Lord's return. And so with that, we are, uh, Israel is, is celebrating its 70th year. That's an entire generation that Israel has been reestablished as a nation. And, and, and this is so incredibly significant because what's happening is we're actually seeing the fig tree bloom. And so we have to say, okay, let's be mindful because he said within that generation that the Lord is going to be returning. So therefore, we need to begin to be watchful and be like wise virgins and have oil in our lamps and have our, our wicks trimmed. And so it's been over 2,000 years since Jesus was resurrected. And I was so confronted the other day in Acts 2 how Peter was talking. He was preaching the gospel after after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit fell. He's preaching the gospel, and he he's talking about Jesus. And, and, and what he was saying about Jesus, it hit me. Like, he... Was only forty days out from having been with him. And so it was so fresh and, and and so real. The flesh and the blood of his savior, he knew him, he held him, he touched him, and it and it just hit me. This is a real man. This is not just a story, and we get so used to stories. That sometimes we, we don't have the revelation deep within our hearts. It doesn't hit us again. Jesus was a real man who was crucified on a real day. And, and, and he rose from the dead like on a, like on a Sunday, you know? He, he these things are real and the timing of it is real and and so 2000 years have gone by and and we can know that he's coming back and we're beginning to see the signs of it and and here's the thing it's not an idea but there is going to be a real day where he steps foot on the earth again. And everything will come under the full dominion of his authority. And, and, and like Lindsay said, every tear will be washed away. And it was prophesied that there would be a former and a latter reign. Jeremiah 5 said this, Let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives rain, both the former and the latter in its season. Hosea 6.3 says, let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the former and the latter rain to the earth. He will come to us in this way. And so the, when he talks about the former rain, which James also spoke about the, the, the former rain, what the former rain does, and John knows this because he's a farmer, the former rain, it softens the ground to receive the seed. Now remember, in Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so what the former rain did at Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that a seed fell into the ground and 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 the former rain began to saturate the ground to receive the seed. And it has held the seed. And he said, but there will be a latter rain. And the latter rain was for the time of the harvest. And it would begin to prepare it's um I wrote this down because I'm married to a farmer. I, I I'm not a farmer, but the latter rain comes right before the harvest to ripen and prosper the fruit so that it's ready for harvest. And the, the latter rain is going to come unto a great harvest and so there's going to be an outpouring, Just as Peter described the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he used that terminology. There is going to be an outpouring again of the glory of God on his church in order to, to begin to gather in the last day's harvest. And it's interesting in the time of the former reign, how there was so much glory that was poured out. And the kind of miracles and signs and wonders that these men who were, by the Bible's own description, ignorant, uneducated. But yet look what they were doing. But it's incredible to me that even with the power of that level of the glory of God, it could not be sustained by that generation. But when that generation died off, that the power and the glory or the reverential fear of God began to die out. They could not sustain the momentum that the church had begun and just like it was with Moses and David and Solomon and Zerubbabel, the people of God they lost their fear and they lost their passionate love for God, and they slipped into religion and they slipped into um, a doctrine that was basically the traditions of man. And so, for two thousand years, we have lived under that under that reality. And God has sprinkled in little um, um, inklings of revival to keep his church almost like we've been on um, 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 life support. But we haven't seen anything that's been transformative and has transformed culture. The word says... That heaven must retain him until the restoration of all things. And that we will be the ones that make his enemies his footstool. And it's interesting how when you read the Bible, when you read the word of God, it's weird because it's like the motivations and the goal of Jesus is sometimes the opposite of the goal of his church today, you know? So I'm going to kind of kill some sacred cows this morning. And um, and I want you guys to still love me afterwards. Mm-hmm. I've been reading John Bevere's book called um, The Fear of the Lord. And this, he had a revelation which I thought was just phenomenal. And I wanted to share it with you because I thought it was so powerful. Um, in the former and the latter reign time, the glory of God was so powerful and will be so powerful in our day, but was so powerful in the former time that that there was such intensity attached to it that the fear of the Lord, it actually coincides with the glory of the Lord. The two go hand in hand. It's like a hand in glove experience. And I want to share with you these three examples um, that I just think are brilliant. Um, and so what I'm doing is a case study. The glory of God and the fear of the Lord. The glory of God and the, uh, and, the and the corresponding uh, judgment for the irreverence of God. Are you with me? So I want to first talk about the sins of Aaron's son. Both of his sons who were working in the temple, uh, Nadab and Abihu, um what they did is they were trained by their dad to to do work in the temple as priests before God and so you had the glory of God that was poured out on the on the tabernacle now do you remember the stories about how the glory would be so great that you could actually see the fire on it and um and so what they did is they brought prophet uh, profane uh, fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do, and they were actually consumed by the fire and killed instantly. So the glory of God was so fierce, it was so radiant, it was so powerful that that within that, there could not be any irreverence for the things that God had commanded them. So when they went Opposite of that, and took the things of God as common. It actually consumed them right there, and they they were killed. And I wanna I wanna take that, and I wanna juxtapose that now to the sins of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas, whose sins were really horrible. I mean, they're sleeping with women in the temple, they're bribing. They were like the mafia, and they were bribing people for money. They were corrupt sons. So here you've got Aaron's sons who are immediately killed, and you have Eli's sons that within the temple are allowed to do all of this. So, So why is this? Why are some priests judged more severely than others? And I think it's a great case study. It says this, and, I'm, and this is uh, the case that, that John Bevere made. He said in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation, and it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place, when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark... And, where the Ark of the God was or the Ark of the Covenant was. And so there were several things that were happening. The power of God had become so low and so dim that they believed that they wouldn't be judged for the things that they were doing. And so God's judgment may have been delayed, but God's judgment still came. And eventually both of them were killed in battle, and Eli fell dead when he heard the Ark of the Covenant had been uh, stolen. So the Ark of God's presence, because of the sins of the priesthood, actually fully got removed, even though it was waning, waning, waning. Do you see that correlation? Now let's look at the book of Acts, because when the when when the when pentecost had fully come and was poured out it was poured out with so much power and so much glory that it said that as as Peter began to preach the gospel guys the, the, it, and again aren't these those ignorant fishermen aren't these uneducated fishermen and here he is saying this is Joel 2 and Spirit of the God hits those words and like 3,000 people are added to the church. And it's said that the glory was so powerful that the fear of God hit them and they all began to, to gather and have all things in common. And so the fear of the Lord the glory caused the fear of the Lord in the people and when the fear of the Lord hit the people the people began to get in line they began to run to 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 the to Jesus isn't that amazing what the fear of the see we think in in terms of our own current culture that the fear of the Lord is like it's like the anti grace message When you preach the fear of the Lord, it's like, okay, well, you know, I see where you're going with this, right? But I'm telling you, the fear of the Lord, it actually adds wisdom to the church, and it serves as like a plumb line to the church, and it causes everything to get in order. So when the, that's poured out it said that everybody came together everybody was gathering all of their stuff and 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 giving it and laying it at the feet of the apostles. And then Ananias and Sapphira come up and they give half of what they of, of their stuff and they lie about it. And so they're in the presence of that level of glory it's like standing before God himself and God is like, I am pouring out my former rain and you're going to lie to me? They drop dead right there. Why? Why? Because when the glory of the Lord is being poured out, there cannot be a reverence. Because those two things go together, the fear of the Lord and the glory of the Lord. Does that make sense? The levels poured out of the glory, the greater our response of obedience and our that our needed response of obedience and reverential fear of the Lord must be. And so as we are preparing ourselves, church, to receive the latter rain, so we too must understand what it is to be to have a, a reverential fear of the Lord that leads to obedience to the will of God, no matter what he's saying in our lives. And I saw at the beginning of 2017, I saw God taking, and he was beginning to test his people to see if they would do what he said. And he was saying, this, this road that was narrow is getting more and more narrow. And I'm going to see who is with me in word or who is with me in heart. Does that make sense? He's saying, you confess Jesus with your words, but your heart is far from me because your actions speak the opposite of what my word is saying. Paul said this about the church in the end of the age, in 2 Timothy 3. For people will love only themselves, their money. Now, he's talking to the church. He's not talking about the sinners. He's not talking about the unbelievers. He's not talking about the culture. but they will reject the power that could make them holy and godly. This is what I believe, what, what Paul spoke in Romans. He said this in Romans eleven twenty two, for us to consider both the severity and the goodness of God. The thing about the church being plumbed, and I use that word, For a plumb line, a plumb line is what you use to measure a building to see if the walls and the foundation of the building are level. And the Lord uses a plumb line, which is his word, to measure us to make sure that we are plumbed accurately. So if I, as a, and I've I've seen this and I've actually debated several ministers of the gospel not debate, I would say had very robust conversations about certain doctrines because the, 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 a, a prevalence that I've seen in the body of Christ is where they will uh, have a doctrine based in presuppositions. So they themselves have a presupposition and the doctrine lines up with that. So they themselves, they have mercy for the people. And so the way that they feel that God should be towards the people, they take the doctrine and they line it up with the way that they think God should treat the people. So instead of the word just being the word... And letting the Word be what it is and, and let the Word be the sword of the Lord and, and you know, us not, like, having a vote. They take a, a position based on their feelings their emotions or whatever. And I'll tell you, I believe that the, the leadership in the body of Christ needs to go through some serious deliverance. Um, John and I go through deliverance every two years, whether we need it or not, which normally we need it. <laughs> But the reason why is because we have to be very careful with our filter. And our filter, we have to grow in love, but we have to get all of the clutter out so that we can see the see the word rightly and balanced. Because if we have a balanced approach to God, we see him as father and judge, as king and lord. And so these are that this is the way that we read the word. We don't just say, oh, it's Papa God. I'm just going to climb into his lap. He's father. That's all he is. He's father to me. He's just father. I'm just going to sit in his lap, and I'm going to continue to live my life like hell and do whatever I want. But Papa, Papa, oh, Papa, I'm going to climb into your lap. Well, guess what? Your dad is a loving father, and you can approach him boldly because he's merciful and kind and long-suffering and all of that. But I got news for you. He also just happens to be the king of the universe. And what he says is it goes. There's no, there's no debating that. And I love what Billy Graham used to always say. He used to say this. Um, people would ask him the question and try to trick him and get a hook in him. And they would say over and over and over, So what you're saying is, if I don't believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and if I don't accept Jesus, that I'm going to hell? Now think about that. They were trying to trap him by getting him to say, yes, that is what I I believe. And he said, um, he would always take it back and he would say, well, it's, it's not important what I say. But the Bible says... This And he always took every argument back to the word of God. This is what the word of God says. I don't get a vote. I don't get a position. You know, we would all run if we saw somebody and we do that. You know, as evangelists, we should all be evangelizing wherever we are. But we want to save as many that can be saved. That's why we have prayer up here all the time. We're laying a foundation for evangelism. We're laying a foundation that we can save a city. It's not unto, I just want to lay around and, you know, la, 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 la all day long in the presence of the Lord, which, by the way, that's, that's awesome. But it is for a purpose. It is unto a great harvest. So we must balance the fear and the love in our approach to God, which keeps us from having itching ears. Uh, I recently saw this cartoon that somebody sent me. Oh, wait, it was Amory. And there were two pulpits. One pulpit had the writing on it, the Word of God, what you need to hear. And the other pulpit had written on it, the Word of God, what you want to hear. And the pulpit with the word of God, what you want to hear, had this long line of people in it. And the one that was the word of God, what you need to hear, there was nobody lined up there. It's pretty sobering. But it's true. What keeps us from having itching ears? That's what the Bible called it. That they, will, that they will raise up for themselves teachers that tell them what they want to hear. I want you to be Santa Claus to me, God. I want you to be my Facebook friend. And I want you to like everything that I'm doing. Because all I can hear is your good news over me. And there is good news. The good news is that we have a father who loves us, but a father who also disciplines us, who keeps us from harm, who, who gently corrects us, who puts people in our lives that'll help us to say, oh, you better not go down that road. Wait, you're going down, okay. And then helps to pick us up when we fall. Amen. It says that we will be in the generation of the Lord's return. And here's one of the signs that knowledge will increase. That knowledge will increase. Beloved, we are in the day where this is the information age. Welcome to the information age. Everything, all knowledge for all time is available to us. Isn't that amazing? And it mathematicians have said this. They said that there are actually no algorithms, no integers that can project the increase of knowledge because it's so exponential. We are living in that day where knowledge is increasing. But in this information age, What I'm seeing happening is that words, you know a word? You can look up a word. Remember the dictionary, Webster Dictionary? Remember encyclopedias? How many of you had those? (laughs) Like the guy would come to your house and sell you encyclopedias? Okay, some of you may not remember that. But anyway, so now you've got Wikipedia and you've got encyclopedias online. Praise the Lord. Um. But here's what's happening. I actually saw someone tweet this the other day. They said that words have been so twisted that a word doesn't mean what a word means anymore. So if we can't trust that words actually have meanings or definitions or the definitions and the meanings of words get so twisted around, how are we going to know? How are we going to know what's true? And that's why, beloved, we have got to know the word of God. Not with presuppositions, not with blinders on, not. but we have to take the word for what it says. And we, can, we have to be like Bereans and search the scriptures out. We can't go to a church and say, oh, I, that this pastor preaches a word that makes me feel good. Doesn't require anything from me. Doesn't cause me to press in. Doesn't doesn't challenge me in in. But just preaches the word to my itching ears and it tells me what I want to hear. I have no idea whether what he's saying is true or not. But we have to be plumbed by the very word that we say that we love, not just in in the written word, but also in the living word, that when God speaks, we also have to be plumbed by that, that it lines us out, it lines us up, and we say, okay, God, that's the way that I'm going to go. See, I believe that what we're seeing is a huge perversion of the grace of God, that the grace of God because we don't fear God and because the truth of the word of God is not being preached in our pulpits, they are saying, grace, grace. Keep sinning. Keep doing these things. Keep living lives according to your own desires. As it said in, in 2 Timothy, your own fleshly desires. Just keep doing that. It's okay. Grace covers it. Grace covers it. Grace was never meant to be an excuse, but grace was given to us as a supernatural empowerment to overcome and to become holy as he is holy. I thank God for the grace of God because it was grace that I got saved. Just as as Jesus said to Nicodemus, okay, wait, what are you talking about this salvation? You're saying um, I have to be born again. Does that mean I go back in my mother's belly and I get born again? What are you saying? You see, it is, it is a supernatural thing that causes the spirit of the living God to come on the inside of us. You can't do that in your own strength. I can't get Jesus in my belly. I can't get Jesus in my body. But he comes and he lives on the inside of us through grace because grace is supernatural. Now, when I get in hardship, like, for example, when my daughter, after she uh, was in her accident, And it was a quadriplegic. And I was having to work so hard to help her. Those were the days where I was up every two hours. She was like a baby, but in a grown-up's body. Up every two hours, flipping her every two hours. I had to go turn her. I had to feed her. I had to help her walk. It took me an hour and a half to get her dressed, you know? I mean, she couldn't put her pants on, you know? I mean, it was just, it was like dressing a rag doll. And, 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 and during that time, for two years, I did not see another person. I rarely got to go to church. We, um, I didn't really get to see many of my other children. And I just remember the complete and total exhaustion. And all I wanted to do was run. Where's my exit? But I knew there was no exit for me. I knew that I had been called to love her and help her. So all I could do on those days where I thought, I'm not going to survive this. You guys know what I'm talking about, where you hit those walls and you're like, I'm not going to survive this, but grace will survive it for me. So I would cry out and I would ask the Lord, I need grace right now. I can't wait. I'm dying here. I'm doing what you told me to do. Now God help me. And and I mean within a blink of an eye. Supernatural grace would be poured out on me, and all of a sudden the skies would part, and I would start seeing in colors again. And I had my, like I could breathe again. That is the supernatural grace that God said that we are to access and live in. It is not an excuse to sin. It is not an excuse to overlook sin. Did I make my point? You all still love me. I love what Georgie and Banoff said. He said, we're to be happy and holy. Just because you're seeking out holiness didn't mean you're a drag. I mean, you guys know me. funds my middle name. But I pursue with all my heart. I want. I didn't come this far to come this far. I want it all, you know? And, and this reality of the fear of the Lord helps to prepare us for this latter rain that is upon us. I want to see preaching that cuts between soul and spirit. I want us to be plumbed in a way, like Billy Graham said, if you will have the courage, if man, if women will have the courage to stand up and begin to speak the truth, then the spines of men will be stiffened that it will cause a whole generation to begin to stand up and speak the truth for themselves, and they themselves will not only be encouraged, but they will find themselves being courageous and saying, no, it's not that way. It's this way. Let me help you find the way that is the way that Jesus died for. He did not die for a sloppy gospel. He died for a people that looked just like him. I feel like we have so much opportunity right now. I am so hopeful over what God is doing in us and through us as a church, as a community, as a family. I think we have greatness ahead of us. I think that we're tapping into some things that are going to be otherworldly. I think we're going to live in a day that all of the saints of all time have only seen in in visions and dreams i think that there's a cloud of witnesses saying wow i wish i was wish i was there with that generation man i would love to i would love to die and have the flesh die and and have the spirit poured out like never before and that we would soar a lot of us may actually be martyred this has been prophesied over john and i i don't know how many times countless times we're like oh yeah great <laughs> But really, a crown of glory? Come on. I can't wait. These are the things that make me come alive, that we would live those kind of lives, not a moderate Christian life, but an exceptional life where we're like firebrands, right? Come on. Oh, Lord. All right, let's stand. Lord, I ask you, God, that you would give us grace to overcome, that you would give us the grace that we need to pursue holiness. I thank you, God, that it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, Father, that we're going to look like you. I thank you, Father, that you are preparing us as you're preparing a bride for a wedding I thank you, Father, that you are igniting the the light that is on the inside of us and that we are going from glory to glory to glory to glory. I pray and ask you today, God, that you would put a holy dissatisfaction in us, that we will not be satisfied with yesterday's manna, with yesterday's revelation, God, but we would pursue you with our whole hearts, God. We ask you for a spirit of the fear of the Lord, that you would give us the fullness of this God and that we would be lovers of God, not lovers of money or lovers of men, but God, you would make us lovers of you, lovers of ourselves, and then lovers of our neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been inspired by this message, we invite you to partner with us by visiting storehousedallas.com forward slash give.